Luke 24, I'll read through our text and then we'll look at it. Beginning of verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together for all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one with, uh, one with another as you walk and notice you're sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger? Are thou the only guy in Jerusalem that hasn't heard, that doesn't know the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they've crucified him. And we had trusted that it had been him which should have redeemed Israel, And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen also a vision of angels, which said unto them he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them the scriptures, from the scriptures, those things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, And he brake it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, he's appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known unto them in the breaking of the bread. We have this record of the two men on the road to Emmaus. The interesting thing about this account is it is the longest narrative on resurrection morning. It's the longest record way longer than his encounter with Mary Magdalene, James and John, 
We hear that he appeared to Peter and spoke to him. We have no real record of that. This is the longest narrative that is given to us. He spends more time with these two, it seems, than anybody else on Resurrection Day. And we don't know who they are. One of them is named Cleopas, which means my father's glory. Interesting. And the other one's unnamed, so you can write your name in there. And I think it's done on purpose. It's important how unimportant these two are because it embraces all of us. And these are men with broken hearts. These are men whose hopes have been dashed. And we watch their accounting of that and then the specific way the Lord deals with it and the effect that it has upon them. So it says, and behold, consider this, it's imperative. You need to think about this. Okay? You with me? Yeah, you and me, thanks. Well, the heck with the rest of them. But no, no, it's, it's a, a present imperative. It means you need to continually consider this. There were two, behold, two of them went that same day. Verse 21 says the third day from the crucifixion. We know this is Sunday. This is Easter. Two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And any of you who know how long that is have been to the races, and you shouldn't do that. Uh, It's about three miles or seven miles, I'm sure. Um, They're leaving Jerusalem. Thousands and tens of thousands were leaving Jerusalem. Uh, They had come for the Passover. They wouldn't travel on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. And then Sunday, there's multitudes, multitudes leaving Jerusalem. And these two are on the way to Emmaus. Emmaus, which means the the warm springs. Their hearts are going to warm. There were, there were warm springs they didn't know of. And they're leaving Jerusalem. They're headed west towards Emmaus. It's the road that went down to Joppa. So they're going in the wrong direction, and they're headed towards the sunset, which is setting like their hope had set. And uh, they're in this journey. Now, look, you and I, instead of being headed away from Jerusalem, You and I are headed towards Jerusalem. Amen. You know, we are headed towards the holy city. We are headed towards the fulfillment of all the promises that he's made to us. We're going towards the sunrise, not away from it. Uh, But here's the truth. In the journey, in our pilgrimage, there are often times when our hope in in the same way can be dashed. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what is our hope set on? Obviously, there's there's one thing we can set our hope on that we're never disappointed. But we have hopes in life, in, in marriage, with our children, with our health, with our our future, with our you know our our employment. Uh, we have hopes with all kinds of things, and sometimes they are dashed by a negative report from the doctor or from a child or a husband or a spouse that turns away or we get our hope on material things that the Lord really doesn't want us to have our hope on as the world around us is unraveling 
and the hope that's supposed to be in the center of our heart and most important to us gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. So there's a great lesson here. These two leaving Jerusalem, hearts broken, going back to Emmaus, and they talk together of all these things. We're going to see further in the narrative of the things they're talking about, which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and they reasoned, that word reason has the sense of, it's, it's not idle talk, they're kind of bantering back and forth. It's a word of emotion. You've been to that part of the world, you know, sometimes you hear people kind of going back and forth or yelling. It's a friendly talk, but it's just a different culture. And these guys are going back and forth. It's, it appears it's a little bit heated. It's not. And they're reasoning back and forth. And it says in verse 15 that then Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. Jesus himself is, is what's called the emphatic there. And, and the Holy Spirit, through the hand of Luke, is making a point. It was Jesus himself. It wasn't anybody else. It was Jesus himself. He was the very one, it says, who drew near. The idea is he stepped into the picture. He didn't see them. I know those two guys and start running, chugging down the road to catch up with them. He stepped out of another realm right into the situation with them and walked with them, it says. But, verse 16, their eyes were holden, and that's passive in the language. It means somebody else is doing it. The Lord had closed their eyes that they should not know him, that they shouldn't recognize him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these, little heated that you have one with another as you walk. And he says, and you're sad. He knows that. He sees that. He understands that. You know, what are you guys going back and forth about? Now, he's hidden from their eyes because he wants their faith to be built upon something else than just his, his presence there. Because, look, our faith and the faith of pilgrims for thousands of years would be built on something other than a personal, physical relationship with the Lord. So their eyes are unable to recognize him as he goes with them. And then he says to them, what what are you guys talking about? You guys look so bummed. And they're probably thinking, bummed? Yeah, and you show up, you know, we can't even have a private conversation without somebody, you know, interrupting or whatever they thought. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast thou not known the things which are come to pass in these days? The the sense of it is, first of all, stranger is foreigner. You know, are you the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Where are you from, Mars? You know, what kind of a foreigner are you? Are you kidding me? You know, there was the triumphal entry. There was the raising of Lazarus. The whole city's been in an uproar. All of these things are going on, and you say, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Don't you know what happened in Jerusalem these last few days? And he said, fill me in. Why don't you let me know? I'm interested. 
And he says unto them, <laughs> What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. He said, That sounds like an interesting guy. Can't believe I missed this. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. They've crucified him. But we trusted, the, the, the Greek gives a sense, we had hoped that it had been him which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today... This is the third day since these things. So he said, our hope is dashed. You know, they're thinking, we can't believe we left home. We can't believe we, we took heat. We can't believe, you know, because they said they had been with the 11 that day. Certain women from our company, so these guys must have known Mary Magdalene and the, and the women that went to the tomb. Then they're going to say, and other guys of our company ran, which is Peter and John. So they must have been with the apostles. They must have been known. They must have taken some heat for their, from their families because these guys, you know, they were known. These are the apostles of the Nazarene. You know, the Jewish leadership is coming down on anybody who follows them. They must be thinking we left all. We sacrificed everything. Why do we trust him? He wasn't who we thought we were. You know, our hearts are broken. You know, and again, hope can be dashed for any number of reasons. And we want to see the way the Lord restores hope. What do you do to kindle hope? What do you do to bring it back to life again? Uh, very interesting to watch him because it tells us that we have the hope we have in Christ as an anchor to our souls. So it's interesting to watch them. These guys are disillusioned. We had hoped he isn't the one we thought he would be. We thought he would be the one to redeem Israel. So they're, they're not mourning the loss of Jesus, they're mourning the loss of the endeavor that he, they thought he was going to perform. They're, they're mourning the loss of the fact that Israel now is not going to be delivered from Rome more than they're mourning the loss of he himself. Very interesting. Because sometimes we think what they thought, Jesus should do this, Jesus should do that. We know John the Baptist would send word to Jesus and say, look, are you the one that should come or should we look for somebody else? Because Jesus was not fulfilling the expectations of John the Baptist, then he had doubts. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived. He was least in the kingdom is greater than John. That's you and I today. We know who Jesus is, but we do the same thing. Sometimes we feel like, Lord, if you love me, you're a God of love. Why are these things happening in my life? If you love me, why am I stuck in this situation? If you love me, why is this going on with my health? Or why is this going on with my career? Why, Whatever it may be, we can do the same thing. We have expectations about who Jesus is, and then we paint him into our circumstances. And sometimes when he doesn't perform the way we think he should perform, we find ourselves discouraged. We find that our hearts are broken. We can, Lord, what's the deal? What are you doing? I, I'm in this mess. And then we always give him the, the suggestion, if I was you, oh, why didn't I think of that? You know, do it the way you do it, you know. So so we trusted. We had hope. This, this had been the one. And now it's the third day. Third day. 
crucified in the tombs the third day. And he, sa- and he said, and as if that wasn't discouraging enough, yea, certain women, now girls, women's testimony was not admissible in a courtroom in this day. Certain women, as though things weren't bad enough, certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, when they found not his body. <clears throat> they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. Jesus said, imagine that. That's remarkable. And certain of them which were with us, notice that they were in cahoots with Peter and John, certain of them that were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him... They saw not. Jesus probably said, I wonder where he is. Isn't that amazing? They couldn't find him. Now, here's the interesting thing as as I look at this. You know, he lets them, he baits them. What things? And he lets them tell him everything he already knows. You know, the Psalms, it says, before a word is formed in our mouth, he already knows it. But sometimes we need to gripe, don't we? Sometimes we just need a whine and gripe. And sometimes he lets us, have you ever done that in prayer? Any, anybody, please, somebody make me feel better. Okay, you know, you, you just get there. Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand. I've trusted you, and this is, why is this happening? And I don't know what to do this, and I know you love me, but I don't know, the circumstances seem incongruous with who you are, and I don't know what to do, and so forth. He lets them dump all of that out, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know sometimes he just wants me to dump everything out. He wants me to dump everything, even if I'm broken or I'm discouraged, or, you know. So he lets them unload on him, and while they're doing it, they're saying, "And we don't know where he is." <laughs> He's there listening to them. That's what we say, Lord. I don't know where you are. He's in the same place. He said, "I'm with you always, even to the end of the age." That speaks to us. <laughs> then he said to them, "O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them the scripture in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So any of you that are taking Counseling 101, you want to be a counselor, here's an interesting approach to people that are discouraged and broken down. Oh, fools. <laughs> you know, this is Jesus, you know, and, and, and isn't it interesting? He, he quickly couches. Now, look, a fool back then was different. Somebody says that you fool. It's different. You know, the scripture said the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. A fool in the book of Proverbs is someone who didn't receive instruction. And he immediately says to them, oh, fools and slow of heart, not intellect. Belief is more powerful than just intellectual perceptions. O fools and slow of heart to believe, he says. All that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things 
and to enter into his glory. The things you're complaining about are the very things that ratify who he is. They, they don't, you know, take away from his legitimacy. Those are the very things that your Old Testament, and he's, there's no New Testament, he's, he's in the Old Testament. These are the very things that make this one you're grieving legitimate. This is the very things you need to go. You need to remember where your hope is. And he takes him to the scripture and it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them. I love exposition. That's why we do it on a Sunday morning. Look, Jesus is saying, you know what's good for a broken heart? You know what's good for a broken life? The scripture. Not a psychologist. They have their place. The scripture. What is the, the world is filled with psychologists and support groups and all those things are important. But what would it be like without the scripture for all of us? What would it be like without the blessed hope that we have? It's interesting. Charles Spurgeon said this, and Spurgeon is the master of the English language. I always get depressed when I read Spurgeon. He's so eloquent. Spurgeon says he was not ashamed to exercise his calling before an audience of two persons. Neither does he now refuse to become the teacher of even one. That makes me feel blessed. Let us court the company of so excellent an instructor, for till he has made unto us wisdom, he shall never, we shall never be wise unto salvation. This unrivaled tutor used as his class book the best of books. Although able to reveal fresh truth, he could have said, oh yeah, watch this. <laughs> and appeared in his glory. But he takes him to the scripture instead. Because that's where our faith is going to stand in pilgrims for thousands of years. He says, this unrivaled tutor used as his class book the best of books Although able to reveal fresh truth, he preferred to expound the old truth. He knew by his omniscience, he's all-knowing, what was the most instructive way of teaching. And by turning at once to Moses and the prophets, he showed us that the surest road to wisdom is not speculation, it's not reasoning, it's not reading human books, but meditating upon the Word of God. The readiest way to be spiritually rich in heavenly knowledge is to dig into that mine of diamonds and to gather pearls from that heavenly sea. When Jesus himself sought to enrich others, he worked in the quarry of the Holy Scriptures. Just, you know, it's so interesting. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. He goes to Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books. He said, look here. This is what happens with Cain and Abel. This is the better sacrifice, you know. Look here what happens with Abraham. When God has him bring his son 
to Calvary, to Mount Moriah, to offer him there so that he can teach them something that will be seen in the Mount of the Lord at a coming day. Look what he did with Moses on the Passover night, putting the blood of the lamb on the lentils and on the doorpost, and how they were spared because of the blood of the lamb. Look at David sacrificing on the threshing floor of Ornan and the fire of God falling from heaven to mark the spot. Look at Elijah on Mount Carmel. Look at Isaiah 53. You know, who hath believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, he's like a root out of dry ground. You know, he has no comeliness that we should desire him and so forth. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Imagine Jesus teaching Isaiah 53. Zechariah 12, you know, in the last days, I'm going to pour upon Israel, the house of David, the spirit of grace and supplication. And he said, and they shall look upon me, it says in Zechariah, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. When did Israel ever pierce the Lord of hosts? So beginning there, he takes them through the scripture and he says, look, Back. Now we're going to find out something interesting is happening during this Bible study. Don't you wish this Bible study was recorded, by the way? <laughs> the Word of God teaching the Word of God. All pastors would throw in the towel. That's probably why it's not recorded. <laughs> you know, It's going to tell us something was going on deep within them while this is going on. Something's coming to life. Something's being kindled. He's expounding the scripture. No secret. You know, you just let the scripture do its own work. You know, Martin Luther said, defend it. He said, the scripture's a lion. Just let it out of his cage, you know. And and here he expounds unto them the truth of scripture. You know, he doesn't break a bruised reed. He doesn't quench a smoking flax. He fans it back to flame. He's doing that with his word. And then it's up to the hearer. Look. When Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man's in Hades, and he says, Abraham, go warn my brothers. Tell them all of this is true. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. They won't believe them. Neither will they believe if someone rises from the dead. But to you and I, as his own sons and daughters, he opens the scripture. He's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And, it's, and, and he's doing it that way instead of manifesting his glory or some other way because this is where we're going to build our lives. This is where you and I will stand strong. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. He's not deceptive, so it's hard to interpret that. He just... He, he just continued to go like, he, like, okay, you guys, I'm glad you finally get home, whatever it was. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into Tarry. They, they, they got to Emmaus. It's toward evening. It says the day is far spent. Interesting. Paul tells you and I, as we follow Jesus, that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. We're on the other end of this thing. You know, for them, the day was far spent. The night was at hand. You know, are they saying to Jesus, Lord, do you have pepper spray? 
You know, you're, this is not a good neighborhood. You know, you're out there. It's getting dark. You need to be safe. You need to come in with us. We'll protect you, whatever it might be. They beckon him to come in. It, and, of course, we're told, interesting, you know, Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't, he won't force his way in. It says in Revelation chapter 3 that if we open to him, he'll come in and he'll sup with us. That's what he does here. I will sup with you and you with me. And we see that, you know, look, to sit at the table together. He's the invisible guest now, but sitting at the table with our King, our Savior. How amazing, huh? How amazing. So it says he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them at the table, that he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. He takes the place of the host. He takes the place of the homeowner. It should have been one of them if he was in their house. He takes to himself the place of the host. He breaks the bread. It's going to say, in the breaking of the bread, he was made known unto them. All of a sudden, their eyes open. Was it the prayer that he prayed, that they had heard him pray before? Was it what he said when he broke the bread that they had heard him say before? Was it that when he broke the bread, they all of a sudden saw the nail marks in his hands? We don't know. All of a sudden you realize, wow. And it says, and immediately he disappeared from their eyes. He made himself unseen. doesn't say whether he was still there or not. doesn't say whether two pieces of bread went plop, plop on the table. He just disappeared. Gone. Listen to them. This is what he was bringing them to. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture? This is the kind of heartburn you want. Okay? You don't need Tums after this. You don't need, this is, you know, he, he didn't our hearts burn within us? Hope was rekindled. It came back to life again. Peter would say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It, it, it brings to life a hope that no unsafe person in this world has. Guys, you know, imagine... What is an unbeliever doing with the horizons they see now in the media and on the news? How I can't imagine living without a Bible. What does the unsaved world do as it looks what's going on around us? Suicides are up in Philadelphia. You don't hear about it. You know, I talked to some of our officers. How are things? And we need to pray for them. Suicides. Besides all the murders, all the, the world is unraveling. All the edges are frayed. The fabric of our culture is threadbare. Because what are people doing that don't know the Lord? They have no hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? We, we have a hope. We're headed towards Jerusalem. And in our discouragements and things go wrong, we serve a risen Christ. And if we 
beseech him to sit with us. If he comes, he accepts our invitation. When our hearts are broken down, we can sit down with the scripture and he will open it to us. It says, did not our hearts burn within us? There's two wiles. Here's how our hearts burn. While he talked with us, our hearts didn't burn while we talked to him and said, hey, Bob, are you kidding? You're the only guy that doesn't know what's going on here these days. You know, our hearts didn't burn with us within us when we said, hey, nobody knows where he is. He was standing there talking to us. He says, didn't our hearts burn within us while he spoke with us? We don't cultivate. Speak for myself. I don't, and I need to, to a greater degree, cultivate the art of sitting quietly and listening because not only am I invited to pour out my heart like these guys did and tell them everything's going on, but I'm also invited to sit quietly and let him speak to me, to listen, to let him open the scriptures as I read. Didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, in the journey, and while he opened to us the scriptures? How necessary. You know, come to church. I'm thankful we can open the scripture. We teach the word. It's the center of Calvary Chapel. Uh, All the other ancillary ministries have been born out of that. When we started almost 40 years ago, there was a a wooden pulpit, a microphone on a stick, and an open book, and 20 people. And that's all there is now. But it's given birth to so much. So much hope, so much. But it's so important for us to sit alone. Great going to church, but to sit alone with him, to sit alone with the word and let him speak to us and let him open the scripture. Then it's real and it's alive. Then it speaks to those places in our life where we can be broken down. Then we realize afresh we have a risen savior. Some men, you know, they respect one day above another. Other men, they respect every day the same. To you and I, every day's Easter. To you and I, every Sunday's Easter morning. I, I, I'm thankful for Easter. I'm thankful to know all around the world today our, our brethren are celebrating whatever denomination, whatever country they're in, that we have a common Savior and we're all going to stand around his throne together pretty soon. I'm thankful for that. But I'm thankful for it again tomorrow. And I'll be thankful again for Tuesday. And I need to take the time to sit alone with him and listen to him as he opens the scripture to me. It says they arose the same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They didn't say to each other, hey, it's getting dark, it's dangerous out there. They got back to Jerusalem way faster than they got to Emmaus. And they found the eleven gathered together. They knew where to look. And them that were with them, so there are others gathered with the eleven. And the eleven said to them, now here's the bummer. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. They're hot. They're sweating. They're good. They're, you know, it's, it's spring in, in, in the Middle East. It's warm. They get back to Jerusalem. When they, they run in to tell the guys, the guys say, yeah, we know. We know. He's risen. He's already talked to Peter. You know, they come, what a bummer. You know. <laughs> they say, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared unto Simon. And they told then what things were done in the way 
and how he was known unto them in the breaking of the bread. So you and I today, serving this risen Savior, on the journey that we're on to Jerusalem, you know, we gather and uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock today, the resurrection day, amen. And, uh, and it's wonderful. But to look at him, and here's the longest narrative of that day in the New Testament. The greatest amount of time spent with two men we don't know. They weren't apostles. They're disciples, learners like you and I. And the Lord spends the greatest amount of time with them, the longest dialogue we ever recorded. You know, just amazing, because that's the church through the centuries, through the millennium, sitting alone with him, unnamed multitudes that hear from him personally, that have hope rekindled in their heart over and over and over and over and over. How many times in our journey we get discouraged? How many times in our journey we're cast down? How many times do we need to learn the same lesson afresh to invite him, to sit at his feet, to let him open the scripture to us? You know, some of us still do this. You know, uh, I'm going to bring fire down on, you know, uh, you know, we're familiar with the scripture. We can sit, we can open, and we say, Lord, speak to me, Lord. You know, and, and we have the beauty of that intimacy with a risen Savior. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. I've just been there many, many times, right? So Rastor's in his tomb. Muhammad's in his tomb. Buddha's in a pot in a temple. Grant's in his tomb. Elvis, whether they like it or not, he's in his tomb. <laughs> there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And we have a risen Savior. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for the most hopeless person in this room, he will draw close and he will speak and he will minister and he will be a medicine to us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know this Savior, this Jesus, maybe you're here because it's Easter. You know, somebody said, you come with me, I'll treat you to breakfast or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to have the musicians come. We'll sing a last song. But as we do, if you don't know Christ personally, what a great day to meet him. What a great to have your spiritual birthday be Easter. The day he came out of the grave to be the day that you came out of the grave. That's a wonderful thing. Let's stand. Let's have the musicians come. And again, if you don't know Christ, look, you know that. It's not a game. It's not religion. I mean, I, I think of all the years going to church, you know, as a kid. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't want to get up and go to church. And half the time my parents sat home, I thought, if this is so great, how come you sit home and I got to go, you know? I would go to Horn and Hard out sometimes. Oh, yeah, church was great, you know, just... Uh, what a privilege now to come, to know him. It, it isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're still in that hopeless place. You can put your hope on a thousand things these days, and it's all unraveling. 
It says when we put our hope in Christ, it's an anchor for our soul. It holds steadfast. It's immovable. He's coming. His kingdom is coming. Glory is coming. Joy and peace is coming. Do you know him? If you don't, as we're worshiping, you come today. Stand here. We want to pray with you. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. But but in coming, you're saying, I want Christ. Not church. I want Christ. I want a Savior. I want him to talk to me. I want to know my sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Let's worship. Lord, I know you've overheard. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for those um, of us that have walked with you for a long time, that in the journey when we're discouraged and those hopeless times come, that we can learn these lessons afresh. Lord, that we remember you promised never to lead us, leave us or forsake us, that you're with us always. And that, Lord, if we slow down and we listen and we look, that you're there and that you'll open your word to us, Lord, and you'll kindle a fresh fire within our hearts. Let that be real to us, Lord. You're you're as much the risen Savior to us as you were to them. And Lord, we do pray for for anyone who may not be here and anyone who's listening, Lord, anywhere, that may not know you personally, Lord. They may have been drugged through religion for years. They're still empty. They're still broken down. Or maybe no religion at all. They're asking questions, Lord. Would you, by your spirit, draw them to yourself? Your word says you're the one who adds to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, it is not our work. But if there are any here today, Lord, would you draw them? Might we rejoice with them, Lord? And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.